we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. I just want to let you know, when you come into this space, we think of you as family. We consider you family. So we're just going to start off in a family space to get going. And I don't know if any of you grew up with one of those families that was just known for that thing. I've known a few of them. Some of them are bakers. Some of them are athletes. Some of them are people who are super creative and artistic and me. I came from a family full of tennis players. Literally, by the time I hit the scene, everyone before me, mom, dad, cousins, aunts, uncles, everyone that was already born was out on that tennis court. I came in running, scooping up little tennis rackets. Literally, before I could even walk, I was dragging around these tennis rackets. And some of my earliest memories are of walking down to this court that was literally right up the street from where we grew up and watching my family and my parents engage and just not being able to wait to just jump into that space and be a part of everything that was going on. And so as you can imagine with that early exposure, it literally sent me into a completely different space. So what happened was I'm this little baby, baby kid, lugging around literally a gigantic tennis racket that is bigger than my entire body. I think we may even have a picture of, if so, they're gonna throw it up. But this is, look at this kid. This human being is incredibly excited, doesn't know what to do with that thing, but it's majestic. It was so beautiful. Your little kid, I think is so beautiful. And it's funny, it's almost a shame now because as an adult, I look back and I'm like, they made perfectly regular baby-sized rackets for someone little who can control it and manipulate it and use it how it's supposed to be used. That bigger racket, I needed help with that. I could not control that thing. Couldn't even use it properly without help. But what was really going on is it wasn't really about the effectiveness. It was about the feeling and the experience because the difference was when I picked up that racket, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. My little cute baby racket could do nothing to match it because it was a totally different experience. And as I grew up and went on through life, there were a few more of those where I just engaged with these moments of realizing once you have a chance to engage with something beautiful and majestic, larger than life, you can never really go back to that which is just cute. And as I was thinking about our time together this morning, I put myself in the space of, in our society, when we think about the perception of God and how God is perceived in our society, we're coming right off of an Easter service where we dove into the personal nature of what God came to do for us. And I was wondering, just thinking to myself, in our society, if we had to frame this as how we see God, do we more often in society see God portrayed as something cute? Or do we see God portrayed as something beautiful? 
And sometimes that's something we can just look at for ourselves. And, and this, is, this is not a judgment. I'm not jumping into your heads. I don't know what's in your minds and in your hearts. But as we step into the day, I would love for you to consider when you think about God, whatever God is or is not for you, this space that you think about it in, is it more of a cute God who, if you say just the right prayer, and if you do just the right things, and if you sing loudly enough and you're emphatic enough, then maybe he might show up and do some great things for you. Or are you thinking and seeing this beautiful God that's bigger than any of the biggest things in your life and that is coming to you, coming to find you, engaging with you even when maybe you haven't leaned into him just yet because that framework is how we're going to enter into this idea of personal relationship with God and forgiveness. It's, it's really funny. Years back, there was a, a movie that just came out and just took over. It was Will Ferrell. He was really popular back then. And the movie was called Elf. And as I was sitting, just driving on my way up here this morning, I was thinking about that idea of personal and how, you know, he's this, in this movie, this guy, Buddy the Elf, he spent this time with Santa or whatever. He gets sent away from North Pole. And now he's at some mall or some department store. And he's just you know, living his life, going about his day, doing what he does. And this supervisor that he works for, they start preparing this time for Santa's arrival. And, you know, people are, they're, they're adults, so they're just like, that's whatever, yeah. Hey, man, fix this mood, it's over. Santa coming on Wednesday, blah, blah, blah. You know how people are. But Buddy shows up, and he's like, wait, Santa's coming. And he burst out one of the most iconic lines that lived for about years after that. This man is like, Santa! I know him. Now, he did it more than me. He's screaming. He's John. He's an elf. I ain't no elf. I ain't about to do all that. But that man got all the way in it. Santa, I know him. And it's just a movie. But that reaction, I just wonder in your soul, in your spirit, when we step out of movie realm, when we step into the real world and getting this idea of what's personal. And if I were to ask you if you feel like God is personal for you. If we said that not just the spirit, but that God was showing up in this building in 20 minutes, how confident would you be that, whew, I know him. I'm going to be out there waiting for him as he comes because something happens when we feel like we know what's coming and the person that's coming and the person that's next. And I invite you today, as we lean into this, that's the space, that's the reality of the beautiful, majestic God that we serve. And <laughs> as we look at this viewing and we're sitting around this idea of cute, I threw this out to someone early in the week and they were like, well, actually, baby Jesus is super cute. And I was like, you know what? First of all, wow. Wow. Okay. Secondly, I was like, okay, well, hold up. Maybe, maybe you're on the right track because cute is actually an, an unfinished version of beautiful. And 
when we think about this line and this movement that we're on, more so that's almost some of the danger that comes with this idea and this minimizing, I call it cute God energy. That's kind of what comes with that cute God energy is it's cute to us because I can tap into it when I want. I can jump in. I had a hard week. God, I need something so I can take out my cute God almost like my phone. And I, I shoot a text out, God, what's going on? I give my little notification. I'm like, God, I'm here. Uh-uh, what you doing? I'm waiting on you. And then it gets solved and it's right back in the pocket because it's cute. I control it. I get a chance to manipulate it. It's like a little everlasting Apple Pay. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> but when we move into the space of our beautiful God, our beautiful God is granting abundance out of his own abundance because that's who he is. That's his nature. And when I speak of abundance, I'm not talking about just money. It's so much bigger than that. And yes, obviously we need relative amounts of money. We know that some people are just driven by a certain heart posture that leads them to just want more and more and more and more. And regardless of who suffers, they gain. So we have to be ready to engage and deal with that. But our beautiful God reverses that. Our beautiful God suffered for our gain so that he can offer us love. And not just love, but love with a chance to give away that love ourselves. Wisdom, joy, peace. And like that, that good peace, that lasting peace, that peace that may bump up against, but it'll never be overtaken by anxiety. That Philippians 4, 7 peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that comes from a beautiful majestic, larger-than-life God who offers sustaining abundance and a faithful abundance. And when we make the mistake of unfortunately kind of shrinking God down into our cute box, that's when we miss out on the beauty because we access him when we want or when we need something, but then we conveniently hit that mute button and turn off that access to us when he may want something. And that is just such a dangerous way to go because what happens is when we fall into that comfort zone and we're good on his end when we want something, but then we simply cannot get back when he needs us to engage and maybe be a part of things he's already setting in this world, what happens is our vision goes a little blurry. And sometimes we don't even recognize. Maybe we love, we love God and we want to be fully in for everything God has set upon our lives. But when our mentality is off and we slide into that cute God mentality, sometimes, unfortunately, we don't even realize it. Because the cute God is limited so our vision is limited. But our beautiful God is limitless, not limited by death. He's resurrected, full of love and forgiveness, freedom and healing. And as we learned last week, it's incredibly personal. See, 
God wasn't happy just having a reality in which he could not have a personal relationship with you and the person next to you and me and that person that you're thinking of in your head that you can't stand, that person too. So he did something about it. And as opposed to our tiny, boxed-up, cute God model, he grants us access to limitless love and forgiveness through the action of limitless love and forgiveness on the cross. And one of the best things about our beautiful God is he doesn't just motivate. He does motivate. He's a great motivator, the best. But he also models. He models for us what he has in mind through what he's done for us and what he's given to us. He, show, he just shows and even showers love and forgiveness upon us so that we can shower that on to others. And look, I've been around a little bit. I know this is not easy. I know it's so much easier to just wake up and sing my songs and praise God and love God and I love God and God loves me. And by the way, that's incredibly important. You need to know that you are loved and you are valued. It's so important. But we also need to remember when God shows us love and allows us to have that vertical relationship and love with him, he also does that so we can show that love to them, them being our brother, our sister, mother, father, any variation of neighbor. And as when we look in John 15, 4, it's almost as if we remain in him to kind of charge up those batteries to better engage with them, all those around us. And Jesus actually spoke specifically to this more than a few times. And there were some religious leaders of his day that were in the habit of trying to trick him and trap him into getting him to do what they wanted him to do and be like who they wanted him to be. So some of the Pharisees were attempting to just trap him up and, and ask him, Lord, what, are, what is the greatest commandment of all, hoping that he would just go on and devalue other things because they had their own plan in mind. But this happens in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Don't know if it's on the screen or not. If not, I'll just read it myself. Oh, it is. Look at these wonderful people. <laughs> Teacher, this is what they ask. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And a few chapters back, a little bit earlier, he kind of really leans in even more to the second half of this in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. And then in that piece, I don't know if we have that one. If we don't, I have it. But therefore, we do. therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. I'm gonna do this one more time. Can we go back again? Sorry, we didn't talk about that, but gotta do it. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
And then you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then you can come and offer your gift. It is right. Let's go. And so what's happening here is we're looking at this, this shift. We're looking at Jesus start to speak to the level or levels of unrighteousness that exists within that anger and within that refusal to go and reconcile. Now, obviously, there are extreme cases and all sorts of things in the moment, crime, stuff like that. But we're talking about actual reconciliation and we're talking about a heart issue. That's why this becomes so strong because it's not just about sacrifice and going back and doing whatever. This is about what is in your heart at this moment. Because if you're going to have a corrupt heart toward your sister or brother, father, mother, cousin, whomever, next door neighbor, best friend growing up, whatever, then you need to sort that heart posture out. You need to fix that heart posture before you come over here and try to give this to me. Obviously, it's God. It's not like God doesn't want your sacrifice or your honor. But God understands the value in him and in them. And something else that's happening here that's interesting is in this point in time, the temple was still up in Jerusalem. So that means the Jewish disciples listening to this, they're in a habit of going to the temple altar to offer their sacrifices and to show their love and honor to God. So in this moment, what he's doing is he's showing that I'm going to elevate this other piece. It's not, it can't just be, huh, I just was ridiculous to my brother yesterday. Woohoo, God is good. Let's get out here and celebrate. And God is good, by the way. But (laughs) no, we need more. We need you to fix that heart posture. It's not just the heart of worship and the heart of prayer and singing, which is great, but it's your overall heart posture. And what better gauge to check your heart posture than how you reconcile with your friends, neighbors, loved ones, and all of that. And I just, for me, I love what these passages represent because they give us an opportunity to maybe take a different look at the cross and what happened at the cross than we do maybe daily. We have a tendency to lean in and to view love and forgiveness as super great things, but maybe two different buckets. So often we see what Jesus did on the cross through love and forgiveness. And we're like, yes, that was amazing. Love over here, forgiveness over here, love bucket, forgiveness bucket. And so what sometimes happens is we may be unintentionally lean into the love or think we're leaning into the love and we're okay, totally just dropping off or just forgetting a little bit about the forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say this. I have. I don't know if you've ever said it. I hope I haven't, but (laughs) there's a saying sometimes that you hear when people are frustrated with someone or they've really been hurt by someone. They're like, ooh, I still love them, but I can never forgive them for, boom, you fill in the blank. Maybe you've heard that before. I certainly have. And what's happening in there is we're walking in this space of love and forgiveness separately. And Jesus 
comes to model a new idea of love and forgiveness as one on the cross. Mm. And as we step into that space, it just reminds us how much of an investment Jesus actually made in us and a belief that he has in us to be able to walk into this love and this forgiveness that he offers us. And, I, and, and not just when it's easy. Is it ever easy? I don't know. But not just when it's easy, not just when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. And I know for some of y'all that might not be easy. I know it gets tricky when the expletives start flying and certain digits start going up. But, but even more so than that, how do we move? How do we sit? How do we walk into this when it's not just a car ride? When it's not just someone I don't have to see again, how do we move into this when it's the ones that are the closest to you, that can hurt you the most? And then they do. One of my, one of my favorite people currently cannot engage with their parents as a result of being in a same-sex relationship. And you know, it's, just, it's a grown person and been around a long time, so has their parents, but the parents recently basically said, you are our child, but if this is how you walk through life, then we cannot walk with you. Yeah, I mean, sit in that for a second. I mean, think about the level of loss and relative abandonment and pain that has to show up. I mean, in this particular situation, when you're an individual who has been seeking after, trying to repair and trying to dive into this relationship with these specific parents for so long, offering yourself, offering yourself up, doing everything you can for the sake of the relationship and just to see and experience your own parents just forsake your relationship. Because in their words, <laughs> the, 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 the comments and the looks and the stares and they're out with their friends and their peer groups and they feel like they have to take on so much because of your life. And they won't even consider seeing you and loving you and engaging with you as their child, as they always were because of where they are and what they can't do. And so now you have an entire, your entire core that brought you into this world. You no longer have a relationship with, regardless of what you're trying to do to maintain it. It's gone. Crack. Boom. Dead relationship. That's reality. That's real. That when that hits, there's nothing a cute God can do for you. When that hits, cute God gets exposed. My pick you up and call you every whenever I want something, God is not feasible in that moment. 
In that moment, you have to have something at the core of your life that can sustain you. And I don't know, maybe you have a situation, maybe in your life it's not parents who have forsaken you. Maybe it's a a sibling that you haven't seen in years that you can no longer talk to. It could be an uncle that was part of the family and now he can't come to any gatherings because according to the family's words, his beliefs and his views and his stances are everything that's wrong with this world today. Maybe it's an estranged child who had so many self-destructive habits that you've literally given everything you can and more. And there's nothing left you can do. But the good news is in that space, in this reality, that's where beautiful God steps in and says, I'm with you. And I love one of the phrases that John, our discipleship pastor, uses around this. He says, what if the cross is actually an example of God's faith in you? And I had to sit with that for a second when I first heard it. But what if, what if the cross is not just emotional love, which is great, but it's about trustworthiness? What if the cross and Jesus' example on the cross of love is forgiveness? What if he did that, understanding that you, I, were actually capable of walking this out through his example, through reading the word, through coming together to sharpen ourselves and one another. What if that commandment to love and our neighbors and our family as ourselves, what if that was given not as something we have to do, but as something we get to do with excitement because the love is forgiveness model of the cross doesn't just cover death. What if the cross actually covers our dead relationships and our ability to lean in and engage with those who are closest to us and can hurt us the most and unfortunately do? What if love is forgiveness on the cross actually gives us power to step into those dead relationships and have victory and transformation over those dead relationships. And it's not an obligation, but an opportunity as a result of love shown through forgiveness. And look, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your head. But I know as we sit, with this idea and we start to lean into maybe practicing this in the week, maybe getting ready for next week, you could be in a moment where you have a chance to reset the entire course of your family or your inner circle based on leaning into this challenging but manageable level of forgiveness. Maybe this is your chance to to step in and bring a little bit of hope 
to that situation, that you and everyone else in that situation was convinced was hopeless. Maybe, and look, it's your choice. Like anything that comes from a beautiful, majestic, larger than life, bigger than anything that could ever come against us in our lives. God, we have free will. It's your choice. No one's going to force you to do this. No one's going to force you to walk into this. You can either relish this opportunity or you can relegate it. You can relish the opportunity to step into this challenging, family-changing forgiveness. Or you can just relegate it to the outskirts of your spirit, to the bottom of your to-do list. That's on you. But I really, really feel like if you step in and you try it, you'll be so glad that you did. So if that's something you want to do, I'm just going to leave you with a quick, a couple quick tips on some things that have worked for me in the past as, as just trying to step into this and not in any way have I mastered this. Sometimes I'm even mad that I'm trying to do it. But a couple of things that have worked for me leaning into this is called the, just the three L's of forgiveness. Listen. Excuse me. Need some water. Look, listen, learn. In all these situations, we have to, we have, to have the ability to look at the situation, not just the person across from us, not just the one who disappointed us, but we have to be able to look at what's really going on between us. Maybe a lot of time has passed. Maybe there's just so much tension and bitterness, resentment, anger. And at this point, to be honest, maybe we don't even know how it started. We have to be able to look at that from our side and from their side. And maybe your first step is just to engage with this idea around, hey, I don't know if I can forgive you that was too much. It was too harsh. That was too much damage. I'm barely holding on. I don't know if I can forgive you, but I can start to forgive the bitterness and the tension that's in this space between us. We have to listen. We got to be willing to listen to their experience and how they experience us. Even if probably, especially if you feel like you've done nothing, you've done nothing wrong in the matter, you got to be willing to listen to them and how they experienced you in this interaction. Even if it's all nonsense to you, be willing to listen. Because just maybe as you listen to what they dealt with and what they felt, even if you feel like it's not valid, maybe that can remind you, oh, I'm not just beefing, just a beef. This is a human being on the other side. And when this gets hard, sometimes the only thread you can find is that humanity. You're human, I'm human, and we start from there. So sometimes we just listen, we hold on to that humanity. The third one is you got to learn, and this is the hardest one. Because more often than not, we're having this issue with this person, and now I'm going to lean in and learn your story? That gives me more about you. That opens me up to potentially more bitterness because now I got to hear all about you again. But something that comes from the learning is you also get exposed to their experiences, their mishaps, maybe trauma that's happened to them, the things that shaped them and made them the person that you're engaging with right now. And the hope, the hope is that as you learn, maybe, just maybe it'll lead to a tiny bit of understanding and maybe over time, that little bit of understanding can just crack, begin to crack open the door to forgiveness. Because you don't think what they did is right. You don't think that they're all good for doing it. But maybe you just start to understand why 
they did it and pieces of who they are. So look, listen, learn. Try to practice those. You may be shocked at how well they help you start to lean into forgiveness. Because as we see when we look into beautiful Jesus, magnificent Jesus, forgiveness is an integral part of that Jesus and his relationship with us. So my hope for you this morning is that you would go ahead and discard all that little tiny small box cute God energy where you just take from him and hit the mute button. And we lean in to the beautiful, larger than life, full of love and forgiveness God who made it capable, who works and lives in you for you to now not only honor him, but honor them. Who modeled for you love is forgiveness so that you can model that even when you got to do it for the ones closest to you who can't hurt you the most. And for some reason, they did. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord, we, we, we do the best that we can to bring these things to your feet. We know it's not easy, but we also know you're here in it with us. What if you have faith in us? What does that do for us? What does that do for our mentality? What does that do for how I view God, not just God in my relationship with God, but what I can do through God? What happens when I believe that you had faith in me before you knew me and that you have faith in me right now because you showed it on the cross through love is forgiveness. And as we lean into this week, Lord, I just pray that you cover all of us with your love and your support. I don't have any idea what we have to walk out these doors with, but I do know that even in your lowest moments, when you ask for it, when you look for it, you can find the faithfulness of God because he's always there. And I pray that as hard as it is, if we're in one of those situations, we can try our best, our best to look, listen, and learn so that we have a chance to be a part of this amazing reconciliation that you brought to this world. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their spirits and their minds. And I pray that you bless them not only with safety as they leave here, but with an enriched and enlivened heart and that they know above all you are now and you will always be for them. Amen.